if you get a folder, um, um, Elder Terry believes in three ring binders. I don't know if you went in her office, but she has a bookshelf of three ring binders where she holds Bible study information. So you can get a one inch or half an inch or whatever. If you get a binder and hold on to the word we are preaching in this season of adversity, you will be blessed. You will get through it. Okay. It started with the strategic life plan. Then we went through with the, we gave you a handout of the um, building um, our faith PowerPoint. Um, and we gave you the steps, the six steps. So um, I think it's the four pages, three pages. Okay. Oh, I got it down three pages. Um, so, uh, and then take this as much as we have, we're going to give a lot of handouts this year because if you hold on to it, it'll it'll motivate you to study it. You know, it'll motivate you because we don't want it to be that you hear it and you don't retain it. Um, you know what I mean? But you want to have it in your head. This is vital soul information. Say soul information. So we could take this soul information and grow our souls. What's in our soul? Say it with me. Say my mind. Lay hands on your mind. My mind my emotions and my will what i do okay so we have to get soul food right <laughs> we got to get soul food so the 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 reason why we gave you a printout of the um um whether it's digital or paper whether the reason why you got a handout of the uh the building your faith powerpoint um the 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 vision casting Sunday and then we did follow-up PowerPoint and then we're giving you this because I almost just kept it for myself but I'm like no this is a lot of information and we don't want you to get swallowed up but we want you to apply and live and grow because we God didn't give us these six steps just for us to have six steps to say oh this is something to do for 2017 he gave us these six steps to apply as we have to say application application okay application so we're going to um, start with step one what's step one no, what's worship? Yeah, worship. That's okay. The worship step one. So with the card, we know we have um, Grace Face sit here, up here. Turn around, turn around, turn around. Okay. Um, so we know that we have um, action-based. The first half of the year, we're going to be focused on our actions, action-based, okay? The second half of the year, we're going to be focused on our character. You could say, let's build our character, then our actions will follow, but we want to examine our actions so we know what kind of character will demand th that type of um, response, okay? So our so let's figure out what actions are needed, and then the character, on the, the character to pull them off will be developed. So the three the three actions um, that we're following are what? Worship, witnessing, and wealth, okay? Works, worship, witnessing, and wealth. And wealth doesn't sound like an action, but it is. It's the giving of our wealth. It's being wealthy. It's understanding the mindset, okay? So let's go. Can somebody turn the air down? I'm like, oh, gosh, yeah. Um, so say it with me. Say love in my lifestyle. Love in my lifestyle, okay? Love in my lifestyle. Um, and it, and a lot of times people hear this and you think just Valentine's Day, but it's the ability to love, three types of love. We know there's different types of love, so not all love is romantic. A lot of people are easy to love if they're only thinking romantic, but we're, we're going beyond that, okay? It's the lifestyle of loving the unlovely, loving what we aren't looking to love, you know what I mean? Because a lot of times it's easy to love when you think it's something you want or it's a relationship or a friend or or a family member that you like what about the ones we what about the stuff that we're not we're not even thinking it's not on our radar we didn't um think about that person we didn't think about that situation when god commands us to love like uh for um 
Good Friday, we're going to be going down and washing the feet of the homeless. And for some people, that might be hard because that's act an act of love. Like, I'm not trying to do that type of love, but it's action-based, okay? Phase one. So um, love in my lifestyle. How does God see his reflection in our lifestyle of worship? We got to get worship beyond a song. We have to get worship behind the song because we, the church has limited such a massive gift of worship to just how we sing in song. And so then, and then we thought we were upgrading. We're like, oh, we're going to do prophetic worship, which is great. But it's, it's, that's a portion of worship. That's this singing a song, whether prophetically or it's a song we know or whatever, that's one component of worship. And actually it is just the overflow of the lifestyle. Okay. You can't sing and you can't write a prophetic worship song if you're your life, daddy's coming. You can't sing a prophetic worship song if your life is not demanding that type of prophecy to come out. Okay. So when we, what we do before service, the worship that we do before service, the singing of a song, I'm gonna, I know. I'm gonna, yes. Go. Can you? Okay. Um, the, the singing that we, we do is not just, that's not just worship. Okay. We got to get it out of our head, especially in the black church. We have become um, we have become ingrained to believe that worship is just the singing before the worth message, or, um, let's go to a worship service. They're going to sing the whole service. Let's go to a worship service. Um, or let's go to a worship class. I'm going to learn how to sing my song better or write worship. That's, that's a part of worship. Worship is a lifestyle. Say it with me. Worship is a lifestyle. Okay. The songs, the songs pour out of a life of worship. Okay. The songs pour out a life of worship. One of the things that Bishop Merritt always said is that the best worship songs come from the people that are living a certain way because their life is demanding that song. And then there's an anointing that goes with that song. Okay. Um, are you guys with me? Okay. So as Pastor Gerald said, when we were discussing this, he said, we have to make sure we understand the definition of worship because we cannot go forward unless we understand that showing your adoration through giving all of your life to the object of your focus, okay? Now, if you look up worship in the dictionary, it's going to say and going to a worship service. It's going to say worship a deity. It's going to go through some, some, um, some superficial definitions. But let us get, develop our, our definition from the word of God, okay? So for us, worship is showing our adoration through giving all of our life. What do we know from John 3, 16? For God so loved, he what? Gave, okay? And so this that's the thing we want to understand. Love is the motivating factor of worship, okay? Showing your adoration through giving all of your life to the object of your focus, okay? Now, let's go to Romans 12, 1, and we can read it in the NIV, but let's also read it for, um, for this week. Let's look at it in um, the Message Bible. But for, for uh, let's read it in the NIV, and then we'll go to um, the Message Bible. Are you with me? All right, let's see, um, Romans, I'm all the way in the Old Testament, okay, and we're going to read the Message Bible afterwards, but let's look at the, um, new, uh, the NIV, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to do what? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, and this is your true and proper, proper worship, so he didn't say sing a song. And that's true and proper worship. He said what? Offer your what? Let's read it again. You guys there? Romans 12. I know you're still turning. 
Let's read it again. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. This is what? True and proper worship. So offering our bodies is worship, giving of yourself to the object of your affection, okay? The, yeah, this is a reasonable sacrifice. Um, well, that, yeah, mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, this is your true and proper worship. So this is a form of worship, offering your body. So if you look at your sheet, we have given your body, and then number two, we have renewing your mind, because what does verse two say? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Then, say it with me, then. Then I'll be able to test. I can't test and see what God's will is unless I give him my body and I fix my mind. Those are the two things that have to happen. I give my body and I fix my mind. So everything that I am has to go to God. Then I change my thinking. And when I change my thinking, then what happens? Then I'm able to see what God's will is. So a lot of times we want to know what is God doing? What is he doing? How is he changing things? How is he changing me? What's going on here? What's going on there? It is because I have to understand. I have to give him something, change something, give and change. And then what? then I'll be able to see what God is saying. Amen? Now, let's read the Message Bible and make it a little bit more practical. Now, what we did on the paper, um, if you look at the four points, all of this is Romans 12, 1 through 2, but we took it and pulled it, put it in a, in, a, in a layout that helps you understand the points of worship, okay? So this will be our working definition when we, throughout the next couple weeks, this will be our working definition for worship. Here's what I want you to do. And he says this, God helping you do what? Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, life, and do what? Place it before God as a what? Offering, okay? That's worship. Taking my everyday life with God's help, he says, with God's help, take my everyday, my ordinary life. So a lot of times we think worship is just categorized to Sunday morning or when I'm in my car. Oh, I worshiped in my car. Oh, when I was in prayer, I worshiped God. He said, no, 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 let's scratch that. We're going to change your mind, change your mind. Let's read, let's redefine worship. Let's, this is our working definition. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're going to work, going to Starbucks, running around, errands, paying bills, walking around, sleeping life and do what? Place it before God as an offering. That's our definition of worship. That's the craziest definition. No, what that is, is take your lifestyle and let everything you do. But the, I love it before he tells you, he goes with, with God helping you. Because what he's saying is your everyday ordinary life. That's usually the place where we say, God doesn't have to fit in here. This is just me being me. God, you stay over there for when I, oh, and Lord, I might invite you in if I'm singing the right song or if I just have, remember that melody for church and I look it up on YouTube or I'm in my house with the straw. Oh, when I get the bad news, then I'll start to worship. And God said, nope, nope, nope. With my help, this is what I want you to do. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're walking around, you're going to work, you're sleeping life, and give me that as an offering. And that will be pure and holy worship. That right there. That's the definition we're going to use. That's our definition of worship. Taking our everyday life with God's help and giving it to God as an offering. Okay? Making that, showing our adoration through giving all of our life to the object of our focus. Okay? Now, what are our four steps? How does that look in four steps? Number one, embracing what God does for us is the best thing we can do for him. That's the first way. 
I got to embrace what he does for me is the best way I could do something for him. Number two, don't become so well adjusted to the culture that you fit into it without ever thinking. And the culture is that conversation you have at work, the conversation you have on your friends, that text message you sent, the, 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 this, the cussing, the laughing, the Bible says coarse joking, all those things. Don't become so well adjusted that you fit in without thinking. Okay. Go on. Okay. I mean, if you're coming. Okay. So, so don't become so well adjusted. Don't become so well-adjusted that you fit into the culture. So what he's saying is your everyday, ordinary, walking around, going to work, going to the bank, running errand life, when you give it as an offering, you can't fit in with the culture so much that you go, well, I'm not going to say nothing because that goes against what they're saying. If I get in this conversation, I'm going to have to have this train of thought. And I love it because one of the things that we're learning outside of just the learning of the foster care system when we go to these classes every week we're sitting down at the table with all these people we would never experience we're we're looking at all these people different races different sexual preferences different religious beliefs different everything different jobs different ages different everything everybody's life is different everybody's one couple has four kids four or five kids and they're looking to foster two more another couple couldn't have kids and their their family makes them take care of everybody else because they feel like you don't have kids so you need to do this another couple or two men that are married and they're just trying to make build a family another couple another lady is single and she's older in her 50s and she's never had kids and another so it's just all these people and they're coming together and god says can you be can you worship me right here at this table, outside of the cultural definition, can you worship me here? What does that look like to you? Well, I don't want to say I'm a Christian because all these, this lady just said she believes in the higher power. This lady just said she doesn't even believe in religion. This lady just said, I don't know what she said. I can't even understand her train of thought. This guy over here, they're gay and that doesn't line up with scripture. So you get all this stuff. So Lord, I'm going to just be quiet and lay low. No. No, I don't want to be judgmental, but God said, give me your everyday life. Give me an offering right here at this table with all these unique people. And that's what I said. Listen, this is my, this is me. I know this isn't you, but this is me. I'm not religious, but I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And with that, what I learned was I was in a lot of pain about what God wasn't giving me. And now, but that pain forced me to help somebody else in their pain. I said, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I'm doing here. And they were like, oh, okay. So my offering to God is to worship him right there, not be ashamed of him, take my everyday life, embrace him for what he's done. Don't become so well-adjusted. Well, I can't say I'm a Christian here because that won't work. And we still believe a couple over here is a Christian, but they haven't said anything. You understand what I'm saying? You could just sense it, you know? And so, and then I have to figure out how can I worship God here? This is a great place to build an offering and give God. I didn't say this is a great place to be judgmental. I didn't say this is a great place to make everybody believe what I believe. I said, this is a great place for God to be worshiped and for him to be experienced by other people right here in my everyday life. So I don't turn it on on Sunday, but turn it off when we go to this meeting. You understand? So that's my example of worship him in your everyday life and show other people who he really is. Number three, instead fix your attention on God. Not on me, not on you, and not on this person. That I got to give God my attention and change me from the inside out, Lord. If I'm focusing on you, then that person I don't like, I will have a grace for them because I know God deals with me every single day and I'm just not that deep. You understand what I'm saying? So if God can be patient with me, yeah, you know what? I think I can give grace to the person that just, 
I don't care. We all have somebody we don't care for. We all have somebody that doesn't care for us. Let's just be honest. We have those people. And that's why that's the cross. This way to God, we have direct access to him. What is this? Vertical, right? And what is this? Horizontal. Horizontal relationships working out the vertical forgiveness. That's where our worship comes in. It's in the horizontal living. Okay. So number four, what's number four say? Readily recognize what he wants and then do what? Slowly figure out if you're going to do it. What does it say? Quickly respond. (laughs) The longer you wait, the harder it is to do. What? So we got to quickly respond. Say it with me. Recognize, respond. Say it with me real quick. Recognize, respond. Say it with me one more time. Recognize, respond. Lord, I see you. I got to do it quickly because I'll get in my way. Recognize, respond. God said, I want you to tell these people you're a believer. Yeah, I'm thinking that's not going to happen right here in this group. God said, say it. Oh, you're embarrassed about me? Oh, no, 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 God. Okay, so I'm a Christian. Um, I'm not saying I'm judgmental. I'm just saying that this is my platform. So what I've learned in my, you know, so it's understanding. I can show people, I might be the only church they ever go to. If we're the temple of God, we may be what the only church they go to. What kind of worship service did they just experience? If we, if our definition, if Hallel's working definition for worship is to take our everyday, going to sleep, going to church, going to whatever, doing our thing, everyday life and give it as an offering, and somebody experiences Christian at school, what kind of worship service did they go to? Because you are the body of Christ. We're the church, okay? Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops a well-informed maturity. Have you ever had somebody say, you've changed? Lifestyle of worship. That's all you got to say, lifestyle of worship. Instead of, because when you recognize, respond, quickly respond, recognize, respond, recognize, respond. When you just get that in you, you need to tell yourself this week, recognize, respond, recognize, respond quickly, quickly. I got to do it quick so that your old way, your old nature can't get in and disrupt the worship service. You understand what I'm saying? So like, think about it when we have the kids in here and they're doing their thing. What do we try to do? We try to grab them quick and tell them to sit out or no, be quiet because we, we got to be quiet because you're interrupting the worship flow. So in our life, when our mind starts tripping and going crazy or our emotions, I got embarrassed or I got fit and you hurt my fit, recognize and respond. What does God want? Not the person I'm talking to, not what I want, but what? What does God want? Fix my attention on God. So let's run through that real quick. Embrace what God does for you so that you can do it for him. Don't become well-adjusted to the culture. Fix your attention on God to be changed from the inside out. Number four, recognize what he wants and quickly respond to it. And then we will develop well-matured, well-informed, well-developed maturity. Okay, you got that? So Romans 12, 1, the Message Bible is our first definition of worship. This is our second, okay? Our second definition is found in 1 John 2, 5 through 6. But those who obey God's word, this is the New Living Translation. I love the NIV too, so it was kind of hard to choose. Those who obey God's words truly show what is showing. It's your lifestyle, okay? Truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know you are living in him. Those who say they live in God should do what? Live their lives as Jesus did. So that's our, that's our definition right there. Do I live my life as Jesus did? The, uh, I love it. When you read the NIV, if you get a chance, it says those who claim 
should have evidence. If you claim that you love God, there should be evidence. I'm just saying. Anybody ever see the book, The Case for Christ? Um, anybody ever heard of that book? It sold millions of copies. We're going to do their whole um, program because the movie's coming out. This gentleman, you look him up online. The book has sold millions of copies, and it's called The Case for Christ. And his name is Lee Strobel. He was an award-winning j- journalist, and his wife became a Christian. He went and set out on a campaign to prove that Christ wasn't real. And that's how he became a Christian, because <laughs> he went to set out that Christ wasn't real. So he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. So they're coming out with the movie on Palm Sunday. And it's going to, I saw a clip, we're going to start showing clips, and it's really amazing. So it's the case, the case for Christ. Can he see, is there evidence? Is there evidence? Can somebody hand me a napkin? Is there evidence? Okay. So you show it, say it with me. Say, I have to show it. I have to show it. I have to love them and I have to live in him. Okay. Show it in my lifestyle that I love him. The Bible, I love it. The NIV says, if you love him, if you claim you love him, we should see it. I remember um, being in New York and I was working in publicity and we were boarding a flight and me and the um, lead publicist were boarding a flight and um, for the sake of recording, but it was a certain hip hop artist that was tend to be on the vulgar side was checking in for her flight too. So the lead publicist that I was working with, she had known some people that worked with her. She was like, oh, there's such and such. And she was just looking kind of crazy in the airport or whatever and she said you know she's a christian and i said well where's evidence i said i don't i don't see the fruit you're so judgmental i said i'm not i'm just telling you that's what the bible says the bible says if you belong to him there's fruit and if i don't see fruit then either one of two things is happening somebody's not doing their job somebody's not discipling or that person may understand who god is god is but god hasn't gotten into them yet so if they if they are a believer we should see fruit but everything that's coming off the tree says everything contrary to God. So it's not that I'm not saying they're not a believer, but I don't see the fruit of a believer. I'm not seeing a worship service in the lifestyle. Everything I say is everything contrary to the word. So I'm just saying, just show me the fruit. And so it's not judgmental, but there should be fruit in your life that even says I'm a growing Christian. Even if I see a little, have you ever driven on the highways like the five freeway or going to to Bakersfield or Fresno or those places and you see the orange groves and you see like even you even see the little trees. So you know that there's eventually they're going to grow. Then you go and you see an orchard with the big branches and all that. And you know, oh, that's a real orange tree. So you should see some levels of growth. Okay. So we're not saying to judge people, but what we're saying is even if you're not perfect, there's should be something to see there's an evidence we, we we were looking at another artist and i was like something we were both saying something has changed in this artist their their lyrics used to be a lot cleaner and just very they, they were just an amazing songwriter and, but there's something about them like they're starting to get vulgar they're starting to cuss more their whole demeanor has changed so i'm like there's a shift for something different so there's something that's gotten in their life that might be rottening the fruit You understand what I'm saying? So watch your life because your lifestyle says where your love level is with God. And your lifestyle then, your lifestyle then is what? Your form of worship. Okay? Did you get that? Can you can you come up here? Um, so you got let me repeat that. You got that? Your lifestyle should say, um, what did I just say, Anise? I saw you write it down. Okay, your yeah, so your your lifestyle should show your love level with where you are with God, okay? And I just, I just wanted to add. I'm sorry. What, <laughs> am I interrupting your talk? I just, I just wanted to add. Uh, you know what? Forget it. 
No, go ahead. You're on the script too. I just wanted to add, we have um, we have a lot of uh, uh, judgment of the people who are who are walking with Christ. So we have a lot of judgment about ourselves because um, we judge pastors and clergy and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, I know a pastor, a pastor that I know, he, he, he wants to, he's out of ministry, but he wants to get back into ministry. So he's going around visiting different churches. But his, his, people say that, that when you start speaking in tongues, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit. But if there's no fruit to me, there is no evidence of the spirit. You can speak in tongues all you want, but uh, but the Bible says that there has to be fruit. Galatians five. So this pastor, he's living with his girlfriend, and and so he wants to get into ministry. And so I said, you, you know, just you 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 see how that's a conflict of interest. Well, we don't sleep in the same room. I said that's that's not the the the, the scripture says avoid. The scripture says avoid all appearances of evil all appearances of evil. And if you are in front of people and you are saying glory to the Lord and you are saying, this is what we're going to do. These things are going to happen, da, da, da. But yet I'm doing this. Everything that you said before that negates. And so we get lulled. This goes back to what Pastor Teresa was talking about. We get lulled into the culture and everyday life. We are not them. And we have to know we are not them. Not that them is bad, because we sin just like they sin, but we have Christ. We have Christ, and we have to know that we are not them, and so we're just here temporarily, and we're going to be different. We're going to look differently. They're going to treat treat us differently. You know, we're going to act differently, and we have to accept that. And I think part of it that goes with that is that, um, and I, I think we really need to do a series on judging because so many people say, don't judge me, don't judge me. But the Bible says that we have to judge each other. We have to hold each other accountable as believers. It says, do not judge people in the world because we we can't we can't judge them because they're not living by our standards but if we are in the, the the body of Christ then we have to look at each other and examine each other and hold each other accountable okay so a lot of stuff what we call judgment is not judgment with pointing the finger because the bible says restore a brother gently it says do it in love so if you if love is laced in it then it's all good but that is our responsibility to each other in the body of Christ because when he when Paul came to the church i think it was a church in Corinth he was like what is going on here he said y'all are doing things that the world isn't doing he was like you're living so what is going on he said you're doing things that are contrary to the word of God so that is what the preaching and teaching was for and that was that what that book was for to get them back on track okay so we have to know understand that our lifestyle is there and we have to have people that can come and look at our lifestyle and say you're drifting because the bible says that it's a wandering away from the faith it's a one little decision another little decision another little decision what does our um what does our our church declaration say it says this word slays sickness this word defeats demons this word eradicates what hidden faults deliberate sin transgressions and abominations okay so sin transgression and abomination that's the progression okay it starts off with hidden faults secret sin transgression and abomination so sin is missing the mark what happens is when we repeatedly the mark is here when we repeatedly miss the mark then what happens is we keep doing something Oh, I got away with it. I'm okay. Now we're just like this. 
And this is what we do. So the mark to do what's right is over here. Now we go over here. What that turns into is transgression. When it goes away, transgression is a, is a life of sin that has gotten into your lifestyle. And now you're just on a whole nother path. So you're going against the grain of godliness. Okay. So sin is one or two acts, but the repetitive sin, when it gets ingrained in your lifestyle is then called what? transgression okay and then what happens is abomination is when you leave this is the thing sin never satisfies so what we find is is that you get you get caught in a in a level of sin then you become a, a transgression and then what happens is sin never satisfies a life of transgression never satisfies so then you end up doing something else and you doing something else so i used to teach years ago that it's like have you ever gone to a party when you were little and you had a grab bag where it had all kind of little stuff in there you didn't know what it was but they would just give you a little grab bag so so what it is is what the enemy does is put your hand in the grab bag and see what you're gonna get just put it in there and just grab something out so we don't know we don't set out to say you know what I think I'm gonna become a pedophile that's what I'm gonna do that's my goal I'm gonna become a pedophile nobody says that who does that right but it's the sin it's the entrance it's the opening of the door then we start to do an act and it becomes what transgression it becomes repeated and we don't even see it as a bad thing anymore god has no access and then it moves on to something else and that opens the door for us to open up possibility to abominations because we've been doing transgression so long and what the bible says is that your heart becomes hard so when you feel any type of conviction, what that means is the Holy Spirit has access to tell you, you know what, that action, that's a sin. You need to uh, forgive, ask for forgiveness or repent. And that's the difference for with forgiveness and repentance, okay? Forgiveness is, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. Repentance is, I'm not going to do it again. And we know what, that's what we were saying when we were doing the declaration. Yeah, I know that deliberate sin. I know what I'm doing, you know. And asking for forgiveness is, it's the battle of is this going to become a transgression is this going to be something that i so god is saying you need to have the heart to quickly what repent and turn your mindset so this is it let's go through it sin is when this is the mark but i hit i was off target and i missed it oh that's not too bad transgression is when i keep doing it repentance is when you turn from what you were doing and go back to what I got to focus on the goal, the goal. Okay. So if we don't repent when we're in a life of transgression, then we, what we get off the mark. Okay. And then the Bible talks about a backslider. A backslider is someone who's going further and further away from, so that's what he was talking about with that pastor. So now that pastor is in a position where he doesn't even pay attention to his lifestyle anymore because it's become, and then the Bible says the way of a backslider is hard. Because it's hard when you start transgressing, when you go against the grain and then it gets comfortable and you don't have a consequence, then you just keep doing it. And then you go, oh, well, God's not, I'm not getting, if, if God was mad, something would happen as if the devil doesn't reward us when we're going against the grain. Okay. So, so watch the progression. And that's why the Bible says restore a brother gently, because the Bible is saying that people are going to start wandering and you need to be able to go back and get them. Now, if they are just completely like I'm doing what I'm doing, I ain't got time for you. Then the Bible then says, separate yourself because that mindset will become yours. So what you do is you have to say, when you're finished doing that, I'll be here for you, but I can't participate in it with you because that'll throw me off my mark. 
Okay. All of it is done in love, but it's also love with boundaries. Does that make sense? Okay. We went somewhere totally different, but it, but you got to cover it though, because you have to understand that's the mission. What's babe, what's the mission uh, the mandate statement of our pastoring is Ezekiel, um, to, to teach people the, the difference between what is holy and what is common. Because uh, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, my great-grandmother, my grandmother used to use the word, oh, she's common, meaning that that was just somebody who lived a way where they didn't pay attention to their decisions. So when a person was common, then a, a woman would sleep with anybody, do anything, and they were just like, oh, you know, she's too common. We're not common women. You know, we don't do just anything. And so the Bible talks about to teach people the difference between what is holy and what is common, meaning what you just do, you know, you just do it because everybody does. And we can, and one, one writer, his name is Rabbi Zacharias, amazing Bible teacher. He calls it cultural holiness. Okay. So there's certain things that we do where the culture does it so much that it, it becomes acceptable in the body of Christ because it's so widespread in the culture that no one even sees it as wrong, okay? So having a baby out of wedlock or living any kind of way or whatever, that's probably why that pastor doesn't feel that way because he's like, well, what's wrong? We're just living together. You know, we're saving money. So they, you understand those are things that when you got to go back and say, no, what does God say? Because when the woman at the well, Jesus said, no, you're living with someone now. He brought that before I can walk you into deliverance. You got to change your lifestyle pattern. You know, you know, okay. I don't know. Thank you, Lord, because that's where we need to go. Okay. So. Because it goes back to the love in my lifestyle. If I love God, the proof will be where? In my everyday walking around, going to sleep, going to work, life, I will be what? An offering. Just point and simple. It's, it's so hard. It's tight, but it's right. It's tight, but it's right. I'm serious. It's just, it just is. It's, it's, it's hard, but we got to go back and make sure that we're on track with God. Okay. So in that, let's read, um, read Colossians. You, I'm glad you have the sheet. Read Colossians on your own. But in that, this walks us straight into our scriptural, um, example today, the book of Hosea. Anybody familiar with the book of Hosea, the couple Hosea and Gomer? Hosea is a minor prophet and God told him to go marry a prostitute. Yep, he said, he said, I need you. Let's look at Hosea 1 and 2. It's on your sheet. Now, we remember a lot of times in the, the prostitutes, they had to, I mean, I'm sorry, not the prostitutes, the prophets, <laughs> prophets, prostitute. No, okay. No, they're not the same thing. Mm. Um, uh, um, the, the prophets had to live out something to show the example, okay? So when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and doing what? Worshiping other gods. So there's that word. They, what, and that's, and I'm telling you, this is a part, what happened, Israel got involved in a culture. And they got involved with the culture and those people were like, oh, you guys go to church? We go to church. Oh, you know what we do in our church? We have orgies in our church. Really? Oh, we should upgrade our style of doing church. Okay, we're going to go over there and have church like you. And God is like, oh, no, 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 no. He was like, okay, you guys want to act like that? Then that's like me being married to a prostitute. And he said, so this is what I need you to do, Hosea. I need you to have a relationship with a woman that doesn't love you and that's loving all these other men to show Israel that's how I feel with you. Okay? So God had him walk it out. 
So let's look at, and what I had to do is to condense the story. I just pulled out certain verses of Hosea to see the transgression of the life he had with her. Because in chapter one, he had children by us. She had children and he didn't know if they were his children or somebody else's children. Hosea 2, 7, when she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them, but not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband for I was better off with him than I am now. So she got to the place where her lovers weren't doing her so good, okay? So she's like, not I'm going to return to my husband because I love him. I'm going to return to my husband because I ain't going to be treated as bad as these dudes in the street, right? Okay, I was like, all right, Hosea, Gomer, what? Okay. Um, verse 14 and 15. Then he says, now this is the scripture that we use for a date with God, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to, there, to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. God is like, Lord, these are the people I went and got you out of Egypt. Pharaoh fought with Mo. I went through all this and you're loving somebody else just like that we can turn that off if you guys want it got super cold all of a sudden so he's like what is going on and so he comes up with the plan i'm gonna win her back i'm gonna take her out to the desert to where we first fell maybe if we go back to the restaurant where we just first met that'll trigger something you know let's go back and try to rekindle something and hosea 3 says this then the lord said to me go and love your wife again god said now i want you to show what i do what i do for you Go and love your wife again. She's had kids by all these other people. This is what was so deep. When he was married to Gomer and she was cheating on him, he was giving her lovers money to make sure she was taken care of, okay? That is some deep love right there, okay? The Lord said, go and love your wife again. Somebody say, again? We're going through this again? Even though this is that, that's why we got to learn to love the unlovely because that's what God does with us. It says, even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and do what? Love to what? Worship them. It starts with the turning of your heart. Okay. And God said, that's worship. When you turn your heart to another God and you give your attention to that other God, God said, that's worship. So what did Hosea say? So I bought her back. I bought her back. He had to go buy her like a, a he, he, it says that he paid the price of a slave. I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you're going to live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone else and not even me because you need to clean yourself up a little bit, right? But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord, their God, and to David, their descendants, the king. And in the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. Now, you know, I love every now and then I like to just read the message Bible. So in case we didn't understand what was happening, here's the message Bible. They make it plain, didn't they? Then God ordered me, start all over again. Love your wife, your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, not her, but her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife, just in case you're not clear on what I'm talking about. Love her the way that I, God, love the Israelite people, even as they flirt and party with every other God and take their fancy. And what did he say? I did it. How many of us can say that? Yeah, we'll go and do what God said, the hard stuff. I did it. I paid good money for her. It cost me the price of a slave. Then I turned her from now on. You're living with me. No more whoring. No more sleeping around. You're living with me and I'm living with you. Woo. God said, I'll take you back. I'll take you back. So that's the love affair part of worship. 
That's a level. That's why that definition has to be in our everyday walking around, laying down, going to sleep, running errands, paying our bills, life. Give that life to an offering because that's where you meet people that turn your heart. That's where you have those conversations that make you second guess what's going on. That's what it is. In that everyday moment where you're talking, that moment when you're weak and you didn't get your answer from God, and then somebody at your job says, oh, I got my aunt's answer. I wear this pink crystal, and it just makes me calm. And you're going, oh, maybe I'll try that because the piece of God ain't working. God said, no, you didn't work the piece. The piece was there. You didn't work it. So you don't have to turn, and then you get drawn into something else. Or you get sucked into a soothsayer, or you get, I mean, you know, a palm reader, or you get sucked into a, a designer doctrine, which a lot of Christians get sucked into. A, it's, a designer doctrine is when the theology is not, comp- where they go, oh, I'm still worshiping God, but the theology is off enough, just off enough, off enough to get us away. So let's look at the three lessons, the, the three questions that we learned from Hosea. You ready? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, please tell me you're with me. Okay, lessons from Hosea. What's question number one? Have I or do I, what? Play the harlot and forget God's love. That's a hard question. We have to just say, have I or do I? Do I do it where I do it when it's convenient? But in my lifestyle, I have those moments where I don't own up, I don't give him an offering around this person. Because in this situation... I'll just keep quiet. If I go places and I go, oh, my name is Teresa McFadden today because I don't want to say it's Teresa Ordell because they might hear I got married. That's not owning up to my relationship. I'm married every day, all day. I have my ring. You understand what I'm saying? And I don't have the convenience of saying, oh, you know what? Before I go in, I remember, this is so crazy now when I look back. I remember the first time I got engaged, um, the guy gave me the ring and it was such a off situation that he brought me home and when I walked up to the door I made sure he pulled you know he was pulled I said no no no, I'm going in and I was staying at my grandmother's house and I remember taking the ring off and putting it in my pocket because I didn't want to go in and have to answer for being engaged to him so what does that say that ain't it you know what I'm saying? If you got to hide stuff, you know, or you run into somebody and you go, hey, that was a better choice, or I'm not sure, this thing or that thing, okay? Have I or do I play the harlot and we forget God's love or ignore it? Number two, because Israel had just gone off and done, every, I mean, you could go all through the Old Testament and you see this phrase, and Israel did evil again in the eyes of the Lord. And Israel did evil again, and, and Israel did evil again, and we're, that's who we are. We're Israel. So we have to ask ourselves, am I always on and off with you, God? Is it that easy where one little fight and I'm off track or one date or one check or one little thing pushes me to a place of, oh, I'm not sure if I'm feeling this. You know, because of empty chairs, because of a health report, because of an attack. This girl told me one time my first surgery, my first surgery, because, you know, I've had two or three, but the first time, um, And I was down to like 95 pounds by the time I went to the hospital because the tumors were so big, I couldn't eat. It was laying a certain way on my stomach. So I was basically on like a 20-day fast before the surgery where I couldn't process food. So they had all that time thought it was something wrong with my stomach, but then they learned that fibroids were affecting my stomach and my my digestive system. And um, 
So that's when they were saying you can, they had me sign the hysterectomy papers because it was so complicated that they just were they at that point they were just saying we don't even know if we could get in so we might have to just take everything out. And I remember this was supposed to be one of my best friends. This is somebody, this is my prayer partner. This is somebody who's known me for years. And she sat on the edge of my bed after I made it home. I'm frail, just trying to learn how to digest fruit again. And I mean, I had gone through all this, four hours of surgery, no hysterectomy, four bags of blood transfusion, I almost hemorrhaged in recovery. I was in recovery for 14 hours. And I go through all that. And we sit on the edge of the bed. And the first thing that the person who's supposed to be my dearest friend says to me, girl, they would have gave her a hysterectomy. You probably would have left God. That's what you think of my relationship with him. If they would have given me a hysterectomy, I would have turned my back on God because God didn't do what I needed. Right then. Right then. Oh, God, I got a hysterectomy, so I'm out all these years of investing in my relationship with you. You saving me from myself, saving me in a suicidal mindset. And I'm going to give up on you because this didn't turn out the way I wanted. And I looked at her, I said, wow, you don't know me. I thought you knew me. So you've seen my relationship with God up close and personal in the dark, and this is what you think. So you have to ask yourself those hard questions sometimes. Does that make sense? Number two. Am I comfortable being taken back after my error? Now, that's interesting because that flips the whole equation. Sometimes when we've done when we when we've done something wrong, sometimes when we've done something wrong, we have to ask ourselves, am I even worthy of God's love? Okay? Does that make sense? Am I worthy of God's love? So do I even feel like God will take me back? Have you ever seen the people so distraught that they don't want to repent because they don't even believe that God will love them enough? So that's question number two, because how did Gomer really feel? How did Gomer feel when she, when Hosea really did come back and buy her and then let her come back and be a wife? And she has kids by other people. And he tells her, I bought you back. I'm going to love you again. I'm not giving you a place to stay. I'm going to love you again. That She may have not felt worthy. So that's the other side of the coin. And that's why some of us may deal with God in a way where I don't really deserve what you have for me because I'm so busy focusing on I played the, the harlot back in the day, Lord, or I didn't do what you wanted me to do, or I failed to do this, I failed to do that, so you probably don't love me. And number three, what do I learn from God's unique love story? What do I learn from a Hosea and Gomer? What do we learn? God says, go back again love your wife again buy her if you got he said that's my wife and you had to buy her she must have been deep in the prostitution thing I mean if he had to go back and the only way he could get her was to buy her and he said I did it I went back and got her and I started all over again I paid good money to get her back what do we learn when God says no this is the way I love because people have um what do they call it uh when you have a, a prenup People's prenup is, I'll love you as long as you don't do that. And then I get to have all my stuff back. And God says, I'm going to give up everything up front so that I'm telling you, I'm putting it all on the line for you. That's what he did with Jesus. He gave us his very best son and did not know what our answer was going to be. That's the kind of love. So when God is looking for, God doesn't want just a song. Okay, I might, you know, I'm tired. I was out last night. I don't feel like raising my hands. I'm going to sit in my seat. 
when I understand the sacrifice that he did, it drives me out of my seat and it gets me to a place where I lay out on the floor and cry, hold my hands up because I know there's a love affair going on. If I go out in my everyday walking around life, if they give me too much change at the store, God, I'm going to give you an offering right now. I'm going to admit you overpaid me. I didn't, I took this out the store and I wasn't supposed in every little thing I'm going to be godly because this is the least I can do because I love him that much. But God didn't do what I wanted him to do right there. We got hurt or we got this and we didn't get what we wanted. Keep on living and get to the end of the story. And that's what I was telling people. God blessed us enough with the pain of not being able to have more kids to drive us to this table. Because there are kids out there that need love. So we're here. So my pain said, go here, drove me to this table. And I'm rescuing other kids who are in even deeper pain. Now I see that's why I stick it out with God. Because when I get to the other side of the story, I'm like, God's like, no, there's a mission field you wouldn't even be aware of unless you come here. You understand that? Lord, we just thank you right now. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. We got to keep obeying even when it doesn't look right. We got to keep obeying even when it's almost embarrassing. It just, it just feels embarrassing. Lord, the other day I was in my time with you and I said, Lord, I'm kind of embarrassed about how things are going right now. If I'm the woman of God and all this is happening and you said, oh, you didn't know, go in the word. Elijah was, he was such a powerful prophet. I didn't even let him die. I sent a chariot down and picked him up, but he lived during a time of famine. And I had him live and ravens fed him. He was in a season of lack. He was in a season of running. He was in a season of having his back up against the wall. Oh, you didn't know? Israel, when he lost his son, Joseph, it says that Israel was in a famine and they didn't have any food. And he had to send his sons out to go to another country to try to survive. He said, you didn't know what I do with the prophets that serve me the most. I had to disconnect from my son to save the world. So Lord, no matter what our life looks like, we have to say, even in this, even in this, I vow to worship through the good and the bad. I will worship, whether happy or sad, I will worship in all that I do because praise is what I do. And I owe it all to you, the one that loved me and bought me back when I played the harlot on you, God. And you didn't buy me back and tell me to live at lower level. You bought me back and put me in the right standing with you and gave me access to everything. Lord, that we would live like Gomer, where we would be accepted and loved back in spite of our actions. That we would have the heart of Hosea, that we would love the unlovely, love those that hate us, love those that do us wrong, love those that cheat on us. Because you commanded it. And we would answer like him, I did it. That we would do like Romans 12, recognize and quickly respond before our flesh gets in the way, before our pain gets in the way, before our hurt gets in the way. This walk with you is, it's different. 
Paul said, I've been abased and I've abounded. I've been at the bottom and I've been at the top, but I have learned in whatever state I'm in because I live a lifestyle of worship to be content. Yes, I take my everyday walking around, going to sleep life, and I give it as an offering. Lord, help us to build our faith by learning what worship really is. The song, having the right song at church and singing this right song in the car, that's just the fruit of a lifestyle dipped in love. So we bless you now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, can we just pray over Hallel? Um, uh, let's just. As we prepare to pray, I, I wanted to, to point something out. Um, the scripture says that, hold on. The scripture says he led her out to the desert. Why do you think he led her out to the desert? To get her out of the situation that she was in. I used to have a friend who said, if you can't avoid temptation, avoid the situation. <laughs> and I was like, well, that mean I would have to make a deliberate, a deliberate attempt to not put myself out there. A deliberate attempt to put a deliberate attempt not to um, put myself in that situation. So that would have to be conscious. But he led her out to the desert. You know, so sometimes we're in, we're in situations, we're in relationships, we're in at jobs where we don't need to be. And maybe the Lord has us there because something we do turns people toward the light. And after we're, after we're done, after we're done, our, our time is up. So that's when we talk to the Lord, Lord, direct me, show me what to do, show me where to go, show me what I should be doing. Go get some crackers. So, um, Pastor, you said you wanted to pray for the church. <laughs>